Yeah, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you watching online around the country and world. Always glad when you can join us. We know that uh, this is our connection to you and, and us and you to us, I guess. And so welcome to everyone here. I'm so excited you're all here today and watching online because we're starting a new series called From the Ground Up. And we're talking about how ordinary people, God uses ordinary people to, to, to do extraordinary things in this life. And we're going to look at a guy by the name of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was an ordinary man stuck in an average job, but when he heard it was happening in Jerusalem to God's people, he, he decided he needed to do something about it. And frankly, I think most people, uh, you and I, most people want to live lives that are meaningful and significant. But sometimes we can't see beyond the mess of our lives. Sometimes the, the daily stress, the daily grind of kids and jobs and just all the things involved with, with trying to get through life, relational stresses and such. Uh, last summer, I was sitting on my daughter's couch in Missouri watching TV with her when she got an incoming text. And I tried not to be nosy, but after about 10 minutes of texting back and forth with whoever it was, I, I tried to look over her shoulder and read and I finally said, Meg, who are you texting to? And she said, uh, Vanessa. Vanessa is one of Megan's longtime friends, grew up together uh, as little girls, and then later on in life, they've kept their friendship going, very strong friendship. And they are now in the throes of having children at the same time. And Vanessa had just had her second child, this was a year ago, and she was having a bit of a meltdown. So she texted Meg for moral support, and I asked Meg and Vanessa, if I could have a copy of this text, because I read it, and I wanted to share it with all of you, uh, lucky you. <laughs> Vanessa gave me permission just this week to share some of this text with you. Her seven-week-old her seven boy, Charlie, had just, you know, just arrived. He was crying day and night, and Vanessa was going absolutely crazy. The text began this way. Vanessa said, remember when I said things were better? That lasted 48 hours. It's been a disaster the last three days. I know this will end, but I hate that I go to bed not wanting to get up in the morning. Meg, it's the worst feeling, and it seems like it'll never be over. I still cringe when I see little babies. <laughs> Vanessa, I hate that we're barely enjoying Charlie. I hate that June has a mom who barely has time for her. I hate that my house is a mess. I hate that Charlie won't take bottles well, and I'm worried if I stop breastfeeding, he'll starve himself, but I'm also worried if I don't cut him off, I'll never be able to go anywhere. I know hate's a strong word, but my emotions are out of control, and I cry multiple times a day. Meg, I cried every day with baby, but you can't let yourself get so obsessed. You're being a good mom. Vanessa, thanks, Meg. With all my attention going to Charlie, June starting to act out. I think it's subliminal stress. <laughs> Vanessa, okay, I'm done venting. I'm just worried I'm on the brink of some anxiety depression issues if it doesn't end soon. We were at my parents' day for Father's Day and Charlie was wailing and my brother just looked at me like, what's wrong with him? Meg, my neighbor has a two-year-old and she said they're done having kids because she was borderline psychotic. Seriously, you need to allow yourself to cry and feel miserable because it truly sucks. Now, I don't know where my, I don't know where my daughter got that kind of language. <laughs> Vanessa, thanks, Meg. Meg, 
You can do it. And you'll be done with this phase and have to pep talk me when I have another little monster. I mean, <laughs> that's just real life. Now, obviously, both, both of them love their kids, and some couples would love to have those problems who haven't been able to have kids. But I'm telling you, when you bring an infant into your home, it's like a bomb went off. It's brutal. My wife will mention things that happened when our kids were young, and I don't remember any of it. It's like a whole decade of my life went missing. I just don't recall it. And I think, gang, I think that's how a lot of people feel every single day, just barely hanging on, kind of defeated, kind of stuck in an ordinary life where one, one bad day just kind of rolls into the next bad day, but then something happens that changes everything, and that's the story of Nehemiah. Again, I'm so glad you're here. Brief history here. Jewish history began with Abraham around 2000 B.C., but it wasn't until 1,000 years later that the nation Israel really took hold under Kings David and King Solomon. Remember, David wrote most of the Psalms. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. But at the end of Solomon's reign, he so compromised his loyalty to God that God judged the nation. And the 12 tribes that made up the nation Israel split up. So 1 Kings 11.11 says this, So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done these wicked things and have not kept my covenant, I will tear the kingdom away from you. Israel became a divided nation. Ten of the tribes went north but were destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. It's on the record books. Two tribes went south. The southern kingdom remained a Jewish nation until the Babylonians invaded in 586 B.C., took the Jews into captivity and destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem, just annihilated it. In fact, 2 Chronicles 36 says this, the Babylonians burned the house of God and broke the walls down of Jerusalem, burned all its buildings with fire, and destroyed all its valuable articles. Obviously, this was a low time in the, in the life of the Jewish people. Their city was destroyed, and they had become slaves to the Babylonians, which, by the way, is modern-day Iraq. 140 years later, though, the Babylonians were invaded by the Persians, and the Persians freed the Jews. Some of the Jews went back to Jerusalem and tried to kind of rebuild their lives and their homes, but with no leader or king, many of them just kind of scattered throughout the Middle East and throughout Judea and had no identity as God's holy nation. And that brings us to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was also a Jew, but he never made it back to Jerusalem after they were set free by the Persians. He stayed in Persia, and he became employed by the Persian king, of all things, King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king in the city of Susa, which is modern-day Iran. And Susa is 800 miles from the city of Jerusalem. Now, in ancient times, the easiest way to kill a king was to poison his drink or poison his food. So kings had to be very careful who they chose as their cupbearer. Anytime the king was hungry or thirsty, he'd say, here, taste this, drink this, and they would watch to see if the cupbearer keeled over. And you think you have a lousy job. I mean, <laughs> it's a dead-end job, for real. <laughs> so Nehemiah was loyal to the king, but he was 800 miles from his true home in Jerusalem, and it's been said that, that a Jew never forgets his true home. One day, some of Nehemiah's friends journey from Jerusalem over to Susa, 
And the news they bring to Nehemiah was not good. In fact, in verse 3 of Nehemiah 1, it says this, those who are back, they report this to Nehemiah, those who are back in the city of Jerusalem are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now when Nehemiah hears this news about his home, it just crushes him. And the Bible says in the next verse, I sat down, Nehemiah sat down and wept. And notice this was not a short cry. For several days, I mourned and fasted and prayed. Quick time out. Have you ever been hit with some news that just breaks your heart? Maybe some of you are dealing with hard news even today. The news about Jerusalem just ruins Nehemiah. And he is so distraught that he cries and he mourns for several days. He's far from home. He's stuck in Persia working this job for a foreign boss. He feels hopeless. You know, like a stay-at-home mom or dad who feels so helpless that all they can do is just cry some days. And it wasn't just a quick cry, like I said. This news hit Nehemiah so hard that he sat down and he wept and he mourned for days, but not just for himself. It was because of an injustice that was happening back home. And so as we get into this story, I'm going to show you three things today that will happen to you, that will happen to me when God wants to use an ordinary person to do extraordinary things. So glad you're here, dialed in online, all campuses. Here we go. First thing God will do is God will break your heart over something. Again, I want to ask you, what breaks your heart? What is it that when you see it on TV or you hear it in the news or you see it happening in our schools, community, or world, just makes you want to cry? What is it that pierces your heart so deeply you just break down and cry? Gang, I would urge you not to dismiss that emotion. Don't suppress that emotion. Pay attention to those tears and emotions because oftentimes that's a signal that God is speaking to you about something that he wants you to do something about. On the other hand, if you're like, you know, Bob, nothing breaks my heart. I could care less about anything. Gang, I would be concerned if that's kind of the sentiment you have in life. Just kind of, I could care less about anything. Because if you're a believer in Christ, and I understand not all of you are, so glad you're here. But if you're a follower of Christ, at times in life, God will break your heart over things that break his. And if your heart never breaks, that's a signal that maybe God is not in your life. Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy living an average life, but then one day he hears about something that just wrecks him. Parenthetically, one of my childhood heroes is Popeye, the sailor man, which might explain some things about me. But, you know, Popeye was just an ordinary sailor guy, had a girlfriend named who? Olive oil. Yeah, some of you know this. Olive oil was as skinny as a rail, squeaky voice, but evidently back in the day she was a real looker. <laughs> but there was a nasty, mean man named Brutus who every episode tried to steal olive oil away. And Popeye was patient at first. You know, he'd kind of play it cool. He'd watch and wait, watch and wait. But finally, 
he would leap to his feet and he'd say these words, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And he would pick a fight with Brutus and he'd get his clock cleaned every single time. Every show, Popeye would get pummeled. I mean, sometimes Brutus hit him so hard his head would spin and his neck would, you know, just do this and it'd spin back down. And we three-year-olds watching from home would yell at the TV, Popeye, eat your spinach. Eat your spinach. After about the fourth time Brutus knocked Popeye's silly, he'd grab a can of spinach and he'd suck it down through his pipe. And his forearms would balloon, triple in size, and he would knock Brutus right off the TV screen. And then Popeye lifted olive oil in his arms and he'd sing these memorable words. He'd sing, he'd sing I'm strong to the finish because I eats me spinach. I'm Popeye the sailor man. Toot, toot. I mean, what a show that was. What a show. Today, kids watch bubble guppies. I mean, give me a break. This was the best show for toddlers ever. But I'm telling you, this is what happens to Nehemiah when he hears the news about the decimated condition of Jerusalem. He says, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Honestly, I want to ask it again. What can't you stands? What so breaks your heart in your community when you see it? In your workplace? At your school? college campuses. What so breaks your heart in this world that when you hear it or see it, it stirs such an emotion in you that you say, somebody's got to do something about this. Gang, I urge you, I plead with you, pay attention to that emotion because when God wants to use an ordinary person to do an extraordinary thing, he will start by breaking your heart. Pay attention. Second thing he'll do, He'll prompt you to pray. He'll prompt you to pray. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you hear news that just destroys your spirit? You know, if you're anything like me, you try to fix it on your own. You try to manage the crisis on your own. You try to work it out on your own. I'm trying to change that in my life. First sign of trouble, I am trying to first go to God in prayer. In fact, I wrote this statement down. Let your tears be the trigger to pray. Let your tears and your emotion be the trigger that maybe I ought to bring this before God. I had to do that this week over something. Something hit me and just sunk my spirit right there, and I knew. Right at my desk, I prayed, God, you know all about this. And you can do anything you want. You can handle this problem. So fill me now, God, with your wisdom and peace. Give me the courage to lead through this problem that I'm facing. It wasn't solved right away. But after that prayer, I felt free in my spirit, and I knew that God was going to help me get through this issue. First thing Nehemiah does after having a good cry is he prays because Nehemiah knows something. He knows that his God is bigger than any problem or any person he faces. I want to ask all of you, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is bigger than any problem or person we will face? Gang, he is. 
God knows all about the problems that we have. He knows all about the issues we face and he just begs us and waits for us to come to him in prayer. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, look, if you just ask, it'll be given to you. If you seek me out, you'll find the answers. If you knock on my door, it'll be open to you and I will help you. My problem is I don't do that enough. I don't ask God, seek him, persistently knock on his door, and so I flounder around, mess things up. But Nehemiah knew that God was bigger than any problem or person he faced. And so I love his prayer. He begins his prayer this way. He says, look, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love to those who love him. What he's saying here is, God, you're, you're amazing. You're awesome. There's nothing you can't do, and you keep your promises to those that you love and love you back. He continues, let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes and ears be open to the prayer your servant is praying before you. And I love this last phrase, day and night. God, I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep pounding on heaven's door. This is a bold, take no prisoners prayer that I think God just loves. I mean, I look at the, some of the prayers that I pray, you know, God be with me. He's always with me. I mean, God bless me. God watch over me. And I think, and nothing wrong with those prayers, by the way, but I think sometimes God is like, give me something to work with. I mean, ask me something bold. I'm this awesome God, and you're just saying, God, be with me. What if I prayed prayers like, God, help me reach three people at my work or in my neighborhood this year? Or God, use me to lift two kids out of poverty this year. Or God, let our church take new ground on the south side and west side of the Twin Cities. By the way, I think that's going to happen in the near future. I think God loves prayers like that. I love what Nehemiah prays next. He says, God, I confess the sins, I love this, that we, Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly. We have not obeyed you. He takes ownership for his sins and for the sins of the nation, even though he wasn't a part of that stuff for many, many years. It's really not on him. But he prays, God, Jerusalem's in ruins and it's our fault. We drifted from you. We disobeyed you. This whole thing's our fault, not yours. Again, can I tell you how much God loves a humble prayer of confession? In fact, Proverbs 3 says it this way, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Versus, it's not that God is just neutral toward the proud. This verse is saying that God actively opposes the proud who arrogantly think, look how great I am. And God's like, really? But it says he gives grace to the humble. It means he blesses the humble. He protects and he advances the cause of those who are humble. And that's Nehemiah. God, we're at fault. We're in this mess because 
of our disobedience. God will love it when you pray. And you respond. Third thing God will do when he wants to use ordinary people, he'll move you into action. Because prayer and action go together. When God breaks your heart over something, gang, pay attention to that. He's put that emotion in you for a reason because when God breaks your heart over something, sometimes some people say, why doesn't somebody else care about that? Why doesn't somebody else do something about that? It's because God broke your heart. God gave you that burden. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy living an average life, but then God broke his heart and it was his burden to carry. I have a very good friend, Dale Hayes. He's in construction. And uh, every once in a while, Dale will just call me out of the blue. He has no regard for my schedule at all. Just calls me any time of the day. And he's all worked up. And so sometimes I'll take his call and I'll say, what's up, Dale? He says, he'll, he'll, say, he'll say this. He'll say, Bob, what's wrong with all these people who go to your church, but they drink and party like crazy all week long? Or he'll say, how can so-and-so call himself a Christian in your church when he's leaving his wife or messing around with other women? I say, first of all, Dale, you, you attend this church. So this is our church, okay? Let's get clear on that. It's our church. But second, our church is filled with sinners like you, Dale, and me. So, you know, we, we're, we're in this together. And then I, say, then I say this. This is what I'm getting at. See, Dale, maybe God wants you to say something. Maybe God wants you to say or do something about the issues that burn inside you. And the guy's like the Incredible Hulk. I mean, look at him on the side screens here. It's not like people are going to mess with him <laughs> if he says something. I love Dale. But when God breaks your heart, what will you do about it. Like many of you, my, my son is surrounded by many people at work who are far from God and, and have values that are opposite of God and it burdens him, breaks his heart. But here's what I tell David and here's what I tell all of you. Don't look at your work as a place just to make money. Look at it as a place to make a difference. Not just to make money. But look at your workplace as a place to make a difference. And my son does. I'm so proud of how he cares for and ministers to people wherever he is. By the way, some of you might be wondering, Bob, what breaks your heart? Easy answer. I've had this in me all my life since I was a kid. What breaks my heart is when people don't know Christ. And when they come to Christ, nothing is more thrilling to me because now I know they're going to have life and they're going to be walking with God and they're going to get their values straightened out. A close second to that is when churches aren't functioning well. That breaks my heart. And so those two things drive me, always have. So Nehemiah cries. He cries for several day, the, the days. The tears are the trigger to get him to pray, but then he moves into action because prayer and action always go together. But here's a warning. It doesn't mean that you act on it right away. You have this burden, but it doesn't mean you jump in right away. Nehemiah didn't barge into the king's presence and make demands. In fact, he waited four months before he approached the king. 
Because it might be the right thing to do, but the wrong time to do it. So important in many things in life. So he cries, he prays, and then he waits four months for the right time to act. It almost never goes well for me when I get burdened by something and I just jump all over it right away without thinking or without getting advice. Gang, even if it's the right thing to do, if it's the wrong time, or you do it in the wrong way, it makes it 10 times worse. So the day finally came and Nehemiah was serving wine to the king and the king noticed that Nehemiah was sad and so the king asked Nehemiah, why are you sad? Look what he says. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says. Even though it's the, he knows it's the right thing in the right time, there's still fear. You are going to be afraid when you step out and do something bold every single time. But I said to the king, why shouldn't I be sad for the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? The king said to me, what is it you want? He's waited four months for this moment. And Nehemiah says this. He says, so I prayed to God, just a, just a brief, quiet prayer. I prayed to God and answered the king. Remember, Nehemiah's just an ordinary guy living 800 miles away from Jerusalem. But look what he says. Look what he asks of the king. If it pleases the king, send me to Jerusalem so I can rebuild it. How's he gonna do that? He's not a builder. He doesn't have skills. He doesn't know what he's doing. How is he gonna do that? Who knows? But I love that he doesn't sit around whining about it or wishing somebody else would do it. God broke his heart. So he says, somebody's gotta do something about this. It may as well be me. Let me go build the city. Can I tell you, gang, if God breaks your heart over something, don't ignore that. You might know, not know what to do or how to do it, but if you are willing, I'm telling you, if you're willing, God will use you, an ordinary person, to do extraordinary things. Not only did Nehemiah ask to go build the city, but he asked the king uh, to get lumber from the king's forest. He asked for travel documents and he asked for troops from the king's army. I mean, he just went for broke to keep him safe on his journey. I love this, this final statement. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king gave me everything I want. Can you believe it? Because God's hand was on my life, the king gave me everything I asked. So I want to ask you one more time. What is it that breaks your heart? That when you see it, you say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Are you just going to cry? or pray, or wish somebody else will do something about it, or will you say, God, use me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do it. I don't know how, but I'm willing. And don't look for something 800 miles away. Sometimes it's right in your home. Usually it's right next door in your neighborhood, in your school, at your office, in your community. I want to close today with a few examples of people whose heart broke over something and said, somebody's got to do something about it. 
It may as well be me. So here's Eric and Lisa Kootenan. After overcoming their own financial struggles, they lead group after group through Financial Peace University, helping other people. Their heart breaks over people who are struggling financially. Here's Chelsea Ritchie and her husband Josh who struggled with infertility, miscarriages, and feeling alone. So Chelsea started a blog with 30,000 followers. She wrote a book called In the Wait to help others who are struggling in this area. In 2006, Jeff and Ellen Gasick visited Haiti for the first time and it broke their hearts. They formed a ministry called Healing Haiti, reaching thousands of people in one of the most poorest places in our planet. Dwayne and Sherlyn Arvold, I love this story, live in Osceola. Their heart breaks over students who are struggling and don't have a great church to go to. And so they bought a bus in 2012 and bus students from Osceola to our Wednesday night student ministries. They now have three buses, all on their own dime. Steve, and I hope I get this name right because I've tried to pronounce it all week long and I mess it up. But Steve, Tregilligus, that's pretty good. Believes in prayer so much that he looks at our prayer log every week that people write in and he prays for every name all week long because he knows that God answers prayer. In 2012, Lee Bailey Seiler overcame addiction through our Quest 180 program and it so affected his life. He said, I have no choice. I got to dial in and I got to serve and I got to, and shows, he shows up every week at Quest 180 to help others. Tom's, Tom Holmes' heart breaks over those who are incarcerated. And so Tom visits prisons, people who are there. He counsels them. He helps them with job interviews and arranges rides to our church. Lisa Welter, her heart breaks over child welfare system that's sometimes broken. And so she started a nonprofit called Connective Kids to help kids in vulnerable homes. Sue Martin. Her heart breaks over people who have gone through divorce. Sue is a hero. She leads one of our many divorce care groups. And she's so devoted. And she's been a devoted leader and ambassador for those who are struggling after divorce. Skip and Gina Nelson. Their heart bleeds for students. And so for 10 years, they show up at our student ministries. 10 years just trying to help kids find God. I could go on and on. I could read 20, 30, 40 people that we know of. But there's three groups. Here's how I want to end. There's three groups listening to this right now. The first group is you haven't identified yet what your heart breaks over. So here's what I would say to you. Gang, you don't want to go to your grave just living an average life. Ask God to break your heart over something. And then let them use you to make a difference. Okay, that's the first group. Second group, you used to be passionate about something, but then you lost your fire. And what I'd say to you is don't let yourself get complacent and soft and self-serving. Reignite your passion. doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You might be in retirement, think it's easy street from here on out. That's fine. But I would urge you to get back in the game because God has a purpose for your life. 
And the third group is this. God broke your heart over something years ago and you've been faithful ever since. And I just want to say to you, way to go. You make us all proud. Because Galatians 6 says this. Don't grow weary of doing good. For at the proper time, you will receive a reward if you don't give up. So don't give up. What breaks your heart? Dive in. Don't give up. God has a reward for those of us who do that. It's been great to be with you today at all campuses that stand online for closing prayer. Be on our way. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for people like Nehemiah who they're just gliding through life. And then he got news that just wrung his heart. And he didn't look around and wonder, will somebody else do something about this? He said, God, I'm willing. And Lord, I pray that all of us would be people who step back from the busyness of life and the way we all get drawn into serving ourselves and kind of looking for the, the stuff that we can accumulate. Nothing wrong with that. But God, I pray that each one of us would find a greater purpose and start paying attention to the things that break your heart. God, let them break ours. We love you. We worship you. Thanks for being with us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great afternoon, everybody. God bless all of you. Yep.